This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster. And this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today we are going to be reviewing Picard season opener, The Stargazer, and Discovery episode 411, Rosetta. And by popular request, we will be reviewing Picard first. Um, But we're going to start with the news. And first up is Zoe Saldana was asked, as the entire Kelvin cast is constantly asked, what's up with the new Star Trek movie? And she had a lot of excitement to express. You know, a couple weeks ago, we're like, oh, my God, it's a Star Trek movie. They're announcing it. They're finally doing it. Then last week, it's like, oh, the cast didn't even know about the announcement. <laughs> right. So, which I expressed a lot of, you know, the Hollywood Reporter article, I think, was good, but I think it was overblown. And this, the way Zoe talks about the movie, basically saying we're excited, we're coming back together for fourth time. You know, it, I, as I said last week, they knew this was coming. Now, their agents may not have started negotiations, but they all knew, you know. Right. I mean, she didn't say, this is the first I've heard of it. I had not thought about it in a long time. Right. She says, you know, it'll be great to get back together again. It's not yet a done deal, but the way she talks about it, she talks like it's going to happen. So she also talked about Anton Yelchin. And of course, that's going to be hard for all of them to come back and do that without him. But she says that it's that that going back and keeping the Star Trek family together is a way to keep him alive in their thoughts and their hearts. And she said he was such a fan and and so devoted to the craft and to Star Trek. So she feels like it would be a nice tribute to him. And we know from before, like J.J. Abrams has said, he would not recast that role. Yeah, I mean, I think that would be wrong. I think everyone. Yeah, he know. They would, all know yeah. that that would be wrong. Yeah. So that's not going to happen. There's there's two questions. One is, do you create a new character that's the navigator that's as prominent? Um, and then, you know, or do you bring someone in like Jayla? I think as people have suggested that. Which I would love. I mean, I thought that was a great character, and I love the idea of her going through Starfleet Academy. Which, you know, she's had plenty of time to do that as of now, right? Uh, yeah, so no kidding. She she's probably be, a captain by now, right? I was right? going to say, I bet she has her own ship. And I mean, the other question is, what do they do with the character? So what I imagine they would do, because it's because I like to think people would do what I might do, which is create a nice story where he's off doing something wonderful. Yeah, I prefer that than giving him an off-screen death. I think that would be yeah. icky, icky. I mean, I, obviously they did that for Leonard Nimoy as Smock, but that made more sense and was more organic to the story and was, in a way, a nice little bit for this Quinto Smock character. It would really drag down the movie, I feel. I hate to say it to say, you know, to... But, you know, then again, I mean, maybe there's a way they could... Do they could tribute. do a sweet memorial. Or, I mean, they're right. So there are two options. Like one is to do a really sweet and moving memorial for the character that also helps deal with the actor and their feelings about it. And the other thing is to have him off doing some, you know, he's got a ship or he's doing something exciting and scientific and fabulous. You know, he lives on in our memories, so he should live on in Star Trek is the way yeah. I look at it. So the movie's still on our minds. We'll be keeping up with updates. Hopefully we'll have more news on them starting pre-production this summer if they want to start shooting in the fall. If we're not talking about pre-production three months from now, uh, then they're in trouble. Right. Well, we'll so. keep our fingers crossed. Moving on to Strange New Worlds. Um, there are a bunch of people on the Star Trek cruise right now. 
Um, and honestly, they look like they're having a blast. All the pictures that I'm seeing are great. So um, our friend Marina Kravchuk got some photos for us of these Star Trek Strange New Worlds uh, exhibit, which is all the uniforms that they're going to be wearing. And when, we have some really nice pictures on the site. And I have to say the thing that made me the happiest is that Rank is back on the sleeves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, for both <laughs> men and women, because it, yeah. it, it, it was it's on the sleeves for the um, outfits in the JJ verse, except for the women. <laughs> so the women, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> who get no rank. Yeah. Um, you know, some people saying why aren't they going with unisex outfits? I think you know, it's original series. They aren't sexing them up with mini skirts. But they're, you know, it. I think because it's the original series, they, you know, doing a bit of a spin, you know, so they're not over overtly sexualizing the women's outfits, but they're still different. I also think that it's quite likely that we will see women in the pants, and the yeah, men's, you yeah. know, and and you never know, you might see a dude, you know, lest we forget the scant from <laughs> Next Generation. I feel like there's precedent set, so <laughs> they might do that as well. But the uniforms look good. I like them. Yeah, it's a great update. They've added lots of little details. Uh, so you know, they weave into the uh, arms, the insignia. So so if you're in operations, there's little operation symbols up and down your arm. But, you know, I, why? Who, yeah. You know, it's just. <laughs> there's, I feel like there's always a level of detail that doesn't get picked up by the camera, isn't really necessary, adds complication and probably time and money. But I appreciate that they care that much, I guess. And yeah. I and I'm just I really I can't express properly my joy at seeing the rank on the sleeves because before with so many of the uniforms, you would not know anybody's rank. I mean, there's still the case in Discovery. It only makes sense. You look at any modern military rank is prominent because you need to know yes. who to salute. Um, and uh, even though they don't salute in Star Trek, you still should know people's ranks. Right. Well, you don't want to be ordering someone around and then find out that, that they're your superior. Exactly. <laughs> Fans are still waiting for the trailer. We're hoping that's coming soon. I suspect they want to get past the Picard season two promotions, which are extensive. Yes. You know, before they start promoting another Star Trek show. You know, there's you know, one thing at a time, I guess. So be patient, but I can't imagine we have too long of a wait. Yeah, I keep thinking that they maybe they are going to show it in Chicago since that con does look like it's it's shaping up. But that's like a month from now, so that is a long wait. Um, yes. I'm I'm hoping it comes in March, but you're right, it could be April, which would be just a month before the premiere, which would be kind of weird that the first trailer was a month out. So Right. So we've got a little discovery update from Michelle Paradise. First she's saying that they're they've essentially finished season four, at least from the editing point of view, but there's still a few details on the visual effects to finish. She calls the finale an awesome episode. Well, I wouldn't expect her to say anything else. <laughs> <laughs> um, she also says the season five writer's room is in full swing. She says work has started in Toronto. Also, I guess that's sort of pre-production and prep. Yeah. Um, but she's very excited about it. And according to an industry report, they start filming in June. Uh, apparently, they've been working since January in Toronto on pre-production. And they've been writing since last year. So the season was announced in 
January, but uh, you know, apparently it was greenlit before that, which we had figured anyway. The rest of our Picard junket interviews are up on the site. There's quite a lot of them and there's too much to get into. So we're going to talk about a couple of highlights. First, let's talk about the interview with Sir Patrick Stewart. (laughs) (laughs) What jumped out to you from that interview? Um, There were a couple of things. One thing was that he was talking about how his, he said he's, of, of Picard, he said, he is understanding that his childhood was not resolved in the way that he always believed it was. So, and we've seen already that, you know, in the first episode that there's something about his mother and his parents' relationship and that it was one of the big reasons that he left and joined Starfleet. And so we're going to dig into this a little, which is an interesting exploration. One of the things about the show is to explore this character. And this seems to be kind of the big thing for the season, this and the kind of romance angle and why he's alone. I think those are all intertwined. Yeah, they're all connected for sure. Yeah. There was a kind of a funny thing in the interview. I mean, because Akiva and others have said they're not going to really talk about the Android thing. (laughs) I have to laugh every time they do that because I'm like, well, you guys made it up. Yeah, It's not Um, like this thing that happened to you. Like you made it up and now you just, you're not really into it anymore. So when he was asked, when Stuart was asked about, he said, you know, I think the Android element is really irritating. (laughs) And so, I mean, I don't know if I'm reading too much into this, but I'm not sure he's a big fan of it. Yeah, Um, I don't think he is. So he, he said he found... I'm not sure what this means. One little corner where I could let it out. (laughs) Keep your eye out in season two for some point when Picard like does something about being an Android. Yeah. Besides looking irritated by it. (laughs) Then there was also an interview with Jerry Ryan and Michelle Hurd together um, who talked to just a lot about their instant chemistry and how well they get along. And also, you know, they're at the end of season one, we see, a relationship has started to happen just in the most subtle movement, which is like they're holding hands and that's kind of it. And now things have progressed to a different level because all this time has passed. What Michelle Hurd said was that there are looks and moments, but she says it's not like it's not that fresh romance where they're always running off to snuggle and do things. So time has passed. Their relationship is complicated. They're on different journeys because Seven's with the Fenris Rangers and and Rafi's with the Federation. So she says you'll get glimpses of it, but it's not going to be, you know, the snuggly, newly in love, annoying everybody face. But I think they're implying that this relationship is an important part of season two, even though, you know, and we'll get into this in the review later you know, they kind of don't seem to be together, but there definitely seems to be some kind of issue between them in the first episode. So, right. you know, this is going to be part of the, this is going to be part of their arc for the season for sure. And we know that they're paired up just in general, you mm-hmm. know, because we've seen pictures of them running around LA and stuff like that. So there's a and lot also, more of that. You know, we've talked about this, but if anyone wants to, get a little bit of that relationship um they can listen to the audio drama no man's land because yeah. that has the two of them having romantic conversations and things like that right at the start of their relationship yeah so i i asked them about 
Terry Metalis, the showrunner, hinted that he's thinking about spinoffs. So I asked them what they thought of the idea, and they were super enthusiastic about <laughs> it. They really want to work together. They they're just way into it, and they they you know because I said, should we be thinking seriously about this? And she, one of them said, you know, everyone should be thinking seriously about it. Yeah. Right? They were really into it. And then I even noticed on the site, a lot of people loved that that question and answer. And were like, yes, I'll watch a spinoff with those two. Now, that's not to say that they indicated it's happening. Right. <laughs> I think it's more, you know, they're up for it. Whatever. Yeah, I would watch that. The last interview was with the remaining three main cast actors. So Evan... Eva Gora, Isa Briones, and Santiago Cabrera. No Allison Pill. I assume she just wasn't available on the day. Yeah. You know, no Orla Brady. Right. No, I mean, I didn't expect this, but no Whoopi Goldberg. Right. Although on our site, we have a nice clip of her and Patrick Stewart on The View kind of talking to each other about the show. So that's Yeah, I just, thought that was kind of lovely. It's not yeah. newsy, but it's lovely. Maybe the most interesting thing, possibly the most spoilery thing of all of the interviews was <laughs> our our friend Evan. When asked about Q, he's like, I, I can't talk about Q, basically. <laughs> but then he said, Q has an impact on every single character in the show and his influence and the stretch of his power hits us all. Right. And we, I think, assumed that it would mostly just be Q and Picard. You know, as we see at the end of episode one... Q snaps them to this new universe, so maybe that's the extent of it. But I think there's more to it than that. Yeah, I, th I think that wouldn't be... I don't think he would have said that if that were the case. You know, Santiago said, we're going to see a whole new side of Rios, and Issa Briones said that she was surprised by the new scripts, and she's always excited to be peeling back the layers of characters, which is kind of what you expect to hear at a junket like that. She also revealed that her dad's going to be in the season and then she had a funny story about how he like told her and you know it took her a while to figure out the new job he got was on her show <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> so just a couple quick merchandise mentions uh, first is if you're a listener to the show and somehow you're not subscribed to paramount plus which would be weird because all we do is talk about those shows um <laughs> but if you've been waiting to re-up your subscription um now is the time to do it because paramount plus launched a year ago and so to celebrate their first year for a week they're doing a promotion um where it's one dollar a month for the ad plan and two dollars a month for the ad free plan for three months the other thing is we got another video game announced. It was a mobile game. But what's exciting about this one is it's a Lower Decks mobile game. I know. That that sounds very fun. And it's all about Badgie. Even better. <laughs> it's called uh, Star Trek Lower Decks, the Badgie Directive. <laughs> and it says players will join Mariner Boimler and the USS Cerritos crew as they take on a rogue AI Badgie in their attempt to return to the real world. It's coming later this year. If you know these mobile games, it's one of the things where free to play, but they will charge you money if you want to do certain things. Apparently, there's a lot of humor in this one, so it may just be worth checking out. And as I said, it'll be free to just check it out when it comes out. Yeah. 
There's a bunch of other stuff on the website we're not even going to cover, but we've got reviews to do. So let's get to that. Let's start with the first of our two reviews, Star Trek Picard, first episode of season two, titled Stargazer. Yeah, that's kind of a hint. That kind of gives it away. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they did separate it in the title into two words, star and gazer. First of all, it's very exciting that we're finally in season two of Star Trek Picard. It's been a very long wait. You know, they use that time well in a way that, you know, they're kind of not really obsessing about season one. They're allowing a lot of time to have passed. And this just in general feels like it's kind of a different show to me. Yeah. Um, They're just kind of moving on. They're not obsessing about the fact that he's an Android. We did get one Gerardi joke where she joked, you know, (laughs) and that was that, you know, there's a a few touches here and there. I mean, you're, you, you could probably not have watched season one, I think, and just jump into this. Well, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. Um, I, you, I will say you don't have to have watched it recently cause you don't have to remember anything, but I think the fact that we had to spend so much time last season learning who these people were and we walk into this season knowing who they all are makes a big difference. But from the beginning, this has a whole different tone, a whole different feel. Picard is sure he's starting off on his vineyard as you would expect, but he's smiling. He's not obsessed about his past he's not you know haunted by data like he was last season no and let's talk about that vineyard scene because it was deliberately in complete contrast to last season right like there's music really good music by the way um lots of hubbub lots of activity it seems to have a lot more going on than before and he's walking around not moping with his dog looking like a lonely old man but joyfully tasting, looking, enjoying the the hubbub of it all. Well, although we should say that isn't how the episode actually starts because we right. it, it, they do one of those, you know, throw you into the action. You get a teaser. You're in the middle of a firefight. It's on a ship. We don't know what ship. We learn later, obviously, it's a stargazer. We don't really get a sense of what's going on. But there's definitely an attack. Everyone's on the ship, including Picard and Rios and the whole gang. And then then you get 48 hours earlier, which is, you know, I mean, usually I don't like that. But I think, again, this is all part of this is different this season. You know, they're like, look, you know, there's a ship and it's Starfleet and it's and it's in the middle of a battle. And it's been ordered to self-destruct. Because we get that too. And then when they go back to what happened before, which has a lot of sort of nice, slower paced, here's what everybody's been up to kind of thing. um, I think I actually agree with you. Normally, I don't like that kind of setup. It feels cheap. And in this case, I thought it was a great way to to telegraph what's going to happen. I mean, not tell it, say it outright, but (laughs) to say the pace is different. The excitement is different. We're going to get there. And then when you see the scenes that are just, you know, he's talking to people, we're getting to know sort of where he is in his life and what all the relationships are again. Um, you enjoy them, but you don't have to. There's no worry that it's not going to go anywhere. In between, we even get a, a new opening credit sequence, new visuals, new music. I mean, it, it's it's reminiscent of last yes. season. But Russo kind of redid the score. It's a little more lively. It's less melancholy. So it's got some life to it. He's got the same sort of motifs. 
And yet the energy of it is very different. And they really want you to know from the first minute that the energy of this season is completely different from last season, but not in a way that makes last season feel like a mistake. It's, it's building on it and enhancing it. I think it's still a character piece. And we get that right away after the Chateau thing, we start with Picard, but this is kind of a repeated thing. Uh, Everyone is kind of dealing with how they deal with relationships in their life, starting with John Luke himself. Um, but we get the same thing with Seven and with Gerardi, um of how they're all kind of broken still when it comes to relationships. That's kind of a hole in all of their lives, as it were. And the way we get to this with Picard is because it's been a couple years now is it seems like he's gotten pretty close to Laris because mm-hmm. Jabon's dead. That was, yeah, that was sad. That made uh, me sad. Even though it was just a mention, I was like, Oh, Oh, very but, sad. But Laris makes it clear. Like I'm a Romulan. We get over shit, you know? We're right. Like- well, it's, it's been a year and a half and she's ready to love again. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the interesting thing is, you know, when we saw the, because photos came out and you saw the two of them leaning towards each other. And there was a lot of dismay in the Trek movie slack um, about that possibility. But what did you think about that? It is Picard's final frontier. He has never truly been in love, I guess, or sh- or had an extended loving relationship. Right. He's been in love. And he says that. But... We don't know what happened with him and Beverly. I think she was mentioned once in season one or something. It is kind of weird how he, there is all this talk about his past and love and we never hear about, including when he later talks to Guinan, we never hear about Beverly, you know, like, right. nothing against Laris. She's certainly lovely, but you know, where's Beverly? Yeah. I I was thinking, where's Beverly? I had my moments. <laughs> but but let's go back to the Laris-Picard sort of chemistry and connection. Like, was that problematic for you? What did you think of that scene between them? Well, I guess it comes down to what you think their relationship was. Like, is she, his, you know, his housekeeper or is she something else? You know, because um, there's a power dynamic thing. We have to hope at least that you know, she doesn't work for him anymore, you know, or if it does, she's like a equal partner now in the vineyard or something, because you definitely don't want that power dynamic to be part of this love story, I guess. But I feel like there's a huge difference between working together at a big vineyard that one that somebody owns versus like working in an office together with promotions and and personnel evaluations and things <laughs> like that. Like I didn't feel any of that vibe. And also even last season, she was so forceful and bossy and pushy with him that the relationship didn't seem subservient at all. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think the bigger thing here is she's digging into, he's he's got an issue basically. And apparently it turns out to be a mommy issue that we've never known about. But that's kind of that appears to be a big thing for the season Mm -hmm. is going back to what really motivated Picard to go to the stars. And even Guinan later says, you've never really told me this. And their relationship is supposed to be his closest relationship. And um, there's something about his past that, you know, that his mother pushed him to space. But it's really it wasn't about exploration. It feels like it was a way to escape a problematic home right 
with violence in it. Yeah, we got some cuts. It's unclear what's happening, but basically dad was a jerk, we assume. I mean, obviously his brother was a jerk. And, uh, you know, so the apple probably didn't fall far from that tree. Right. The mom figure is so important, it seems, for this season. I think we'll Mm -hmm. be seeing more of her and more of these flashbacks. But the episode was bookended, obviously, with the Borg Queen. But the Borg Queen had a mask. And the Borg Queen said the same thing that his mother said. Mm -hmm. And so they seem to be telegraphing. But is this even possible that his mom is a Borg queen? <laughs> is that where is that where that, this is all headed? Like, a, wh- why? I can't the- believe you didn't mention your tinfoil hat when you started talking about this one because usually you introduce <laughs> it with that. And this yeah. is a big one. This is like the biggest tinfoil hat theory I think I've heard from you in a while. You so you didn't pick up on that? You didn't you didn't think because the Borg queen said at the end. She used the same, you know, the look up thing. It, it seemed very specific. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so how would she know that? Now, it, it he was assimilated at some point. I was going to say, I've got some headcanon for that. Yeah. So. so they know everything he knows. But why did the Borg Queen have a mask on? You only put a ma- that, mask on a right. character or put a character in a, in a dark hood because at some point they're going to take it off. And it's like, oh, it was so-and-so all along. Right. Now that to me is the is the one big piece of evidence that yeah there's something that that could be happening. I also enjoyed the sparkly outfit with cape that the Borg Queen was right. wearing. And Gerardi goes, "That's new." Yeah, you know, Gerardi got all the good laughs in this episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but we know it's not. We know that there's a, a different Borg Queen. I mean, in the, I mean, un, maybe Annie Wershing is under this as well. But we know that her Borg Queen looks totally different than this Borg Queen. Right. I don't even think she has legs now that I think about it. I was, so. gonna, I was just going to say this. She doesn't have legs, let alone able to st- is she able to stand up with a sparkly cape on? So there's something special about this Borg Queen. I mean, maybe it's Seven under there. Maybe it's another, you know, maybe Seven it's Bre- was in the room. I know, but it could be like an alternate Seven. Maybe it's Brett Spiner <laughs> under there. It could be another Soong for <laughs> sure. Know? I mean, there's, there's something, maybe it's Beverly. I was just going to say that's where Dr. Crusher is. Now we know. Oh God. Or maybe it's where Dr. Pulaski's been all these years. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. This is going to be the silly. big thing all season is who's under the hood. Who's under the mask. <laughs> it's the who shot JR of Star Trek Picard right. season exactly. two. Exactly. You know, we were starting at a high level and now we're at a very granular level. <laughs> I know. We were starting talking about his romance with Laris, and then we got to his mom, and now it's the Borg Queen tinfoil hat. But in general, I think the pacing was great. You know, I, I loved the reintroduction of Starfleet. All the Starfleet stuff looked great. I like the new uniforms. Mm-hmm. I think the ship looked great. It, it it all kind of fits. I mean, the ship was way too dark, perhaps, um, but that's kind of a movie-era Star Trek where they always light the ships that way. You know, they're going for a cinematic feel. So the production design was amazing. The, the, the visual effects were outstanding, um, which has been true for all of the new Star Trek shows. I, I enjoyed our, the little quick tour we got of, like, where all the characters are. Mm-hmm. I liked the fact that it was done quickly. It was quick and efficient, but it was also entertaining and engaging. Like, I liked all those small scenes. They did the job 
of filling you in, but they were they also were great little standalone scenes. You know, so why isn't Jurati in jail? We know that. Where's Soji? She's over on that planet hanging out with Deltons. Although that isn't the Delton home planet, but I guess there's some Deltons yeah, she there. Deltons, and there were a lot of sense. I didn't think it was... The only weird thing was she says something that isn't super profound, and they're all like, ha, 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 clap, 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 clap. And I was like, well, they're easy to please, that audience. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is curious that she... Because you know, that was in the beta quadrant. I, w- I was confused, like, so... So there's where is this anomaly? Like at first I thought it was right outside at the edge of the solar system, right? Because we started Picard's house and they zoom out and they go, oh, here's the anomaly. Then Seven runs into it somewhere. Mm-hmm. And they send Rios over. Yep. But then Rios picks Jurati up over in the beta quadrant and then goes back to the anomaly. I, I don't know. I'm confused by that. But <laughs> maybe it is in the beta quadrant. Who knows? You know, maybe his ship has Borg transwarp conduits. They did mention that it was built using technology they'd learned about because of all their research on the Borg cube. First of all, fans are going to like the ship, I think, the Stargazer. Mm-hmm. I think we've are, we're already seeing some of that. And then when all the other ships start showing up, you know, you could see ships that look like the Titan, you know, and a nice variety of ships. So the, there was a big thing <laughs> at the end of last season where the, the, the Armada was all the same ship or right. or a variation of that same ship right um where the, this was a nice variety pack of ships so ship fans will be excited by that and there were lots of ship name dropping you know there's a sulu ship yep, the grissom um, grissom the excelsior yeah i'm gonna go way into the weeds here so the stargazer was described as a new ship and it has a new registry Basically, they added an eight to the front of the registry of the original Stargazer. But then Picard referred to it as a refit. And it's like, why that? And then he used his, he had command codes for it. Like, why would he even have the command codes for Rios's ship unless, right? Well, not the command code, but the self destruct code. Right. You know, unless he has like super admiral self destruct codes. That's what I was wondering is that was it a rank? thing maybe he could just walk onto any ship and go <laughs> zero zero destruct zero and boom you know considering how many bad <laughs> we've seen that's probably not a great idea yeah <laughs> maybe the bigger mystery there is the borg themselves though because i think gerardi says that the borg have been decimated mm-hmm. i mean maybe i missed something in season one i thought the cube that was just hanging out in romulan space that cube was destroyed because the one crazy Romulan woman got assimilated and drove everyone on the cube crazy. But maybe that affected more of the collective, not just that ship. Well, because how would it just affect one ship? Like everything is connected. Maybe everyone went crazy or a lot, you know, or the collective just had a bad couple decades after that. Um, But now they're back. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, they're back because the queen came through a space time anomaly. Right. Well, we don't know when this queen right. is from. Right. Could be anywhere. Could be a different universe. Could be anything. Could be anytime, anywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And she's under a hood. Otherwise, it's very clear who she is. Uh, <laughs> well, but I think there's something. I mean, if you're listening to that scene, careful. I think everything she said was true. She said, I came in peace. You know, I'm here to make peace. I wanted, you know, they sent the thing and they want to join the Federation um, because uh, Seven made the point that the queen yep. was only stunning people. So 
the Borg are bad at saying hello, perhaps, you know, but they haven't I, had a lot of practice. Yeah. So, you know, this is their way of doing diplomacy where she felt like she had to take over the ship in order to do whatever she t- to say hello. But that was important when Seven said that. Like, I thought that's something you could easily miss if you weren't paying close attention. Right. That was a very, very important point. I think that perhaps the queen is genuinely there to help or or ask for help. And she said, first, I need power. And then she turned into like Doc Ock from Spider-Man 2. So I I think there's definitely a lot more to that. Although maybe there isn't (laughs) because he blew up the ship. Well, he did. But but I mean, you got to look at all the things were right next to a giant space time anomaly. And then suddenly he was in an alternate universe. And yes, Q is there. But did the ship blow up is really the question. And I don't think we know the answer to that. I think it it didn't. It didn't. You know, we've seen this on Star Trek before. Where you see the ship blow right. up and then they go backwards and forwards and backwards. You know, so right. it did in a sense. It did blow up. Yet yeah, we saw it. <clears throat> yep. But Q could make it unblow up. And he obviously did, I guess. Although he popped them to what appears to be and what we know is a different universe or timeline or however you want to call it. But I want to, you know, I want to get back to some of the character stuff. You know, I thought that the seven stuff was interesting, and they're delving a little more into why seven is just so damn angry. And I don't and think they really got into this in season one. No, they didn't. They didn't. They really didn't get into how she is viewed by others because of her, you know, remaining Borg implants and how she feels about that and how isolating that has been for her and i i thought they so efficiently covered that there were two right there was the scene with the hologram well before that it started with the pirates they started calling her names right called her a freak and then yeah then emmett apparently even though emmett was always the kind of you know, wise talking Spanish speaking hologram. Apparently Emmett now has all of their capabilities. So he's yes. also a therapist. <laughs> Even though she wants to turn that part of him off. Obviously they don't want to do the multiple Rioses because it's a bit of hassles. It's too hard. Look, <laughs> as long as we see each of them at some point, I don't need them to all be together on the couch. I just want to see them because I really enjoyed them. But back to seven. And that also comes up in her conversation with Picard when they see each other. Because I guess she'd already been on the ship. Then he shows up and everyone's being nice to him and deferential. Right. So apparently before he showed up, everyone was probably snickering at her. And- I don't think they were. I think they were just wary of her. Who knows? They're Starfleet. So we would they're hope Starfleet. that they, they're not going to be snickering and being weird, but they're definitely going to be nervous around her. Right. And not as respectful. Like Picard shows up and everyone like moves aside and says, oh, it's Admiral Picard. Because right. he's a big deal and he should he be a, a big, big deal. deal. It's yeah. like Spock showing up. Like everyone's like, wow, it's Picard. He saved the universe how many times? Mm-hmm. And it's his ship in a sense. I, I definitely liked that. So did I. But it is nice to get a little more understanding. And it makes sense that, yes, you know, people are more enlightened in the future. But it's understandable that people are wary of the Borg. Sure. Um, I mean, we saw this even on Voyager. Yes. They got Absolutely. used to her eventually, but no, and that, but then they would meet other aliens who would also have reactions to her for good reason. The Borg are jerks. I mean, come on, right? No, no well, that's. I mean, they talked a lot about the XBs last season and how they were. They had struggles also. 
So, and we're viewed a certain way and, and, you know, being taken apart and having things done to them. And this, you know, Seven's inability to form relationships explains why she and Rafi aren't together. And there was that fun scene where Rafi's talking to Picard and, and Rafi, loved Rafi jokes with Picard about how he's alone and, and he, he hits a right back with house seven. So, you know, they're both, they both have their problems basically. He does, but you know what? There were a couple things I loved about that scene. One is that he's actually paying attention to how she's doing, which last season he failed her. And so there were so many times where she had something really big going on and he just didn't pick up on it. Didn't, didn't sense her pain. Didn't pay attention to it. And so I really like this time he's paying attention. We get a sense that they've, re- you know, because when they were together working on the Romulan thing, they were obviously very close. And we learned more about that in the books. And she's now at Starfleet Academy with him. He's the chancellor. And we get a sense that they've had some time. They're now basically pals again. We mm-hmm. definitely got a, a much better chemistry between them. I was curious about the two things. One is Soji and Elnor. We don't know what's going to happen with them for the rest of the season. I mean, we know that there's going to be an Elnor shows up later. We've seen him in the trailers. I think we've seen more of Soji, but they they almost seemed they didn't get a lot of attention this episode. And I'm fine with that in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Elnor's never been our favorite character to begin no. with, but he was fine and he got a Spock book. So maybe he'll learn something. They're definitely setting up various themes and hints. You know, you were talking about the beginning, all the stuff at the vineyard and the music. The music was time is on my side, which, you know, the word time came up a lot. In yeah. This episode. Well, they no, and there's a big hourglass and the, you know, and the open and all that stuff. But I thought time is on my side was a great. It was also just a great. It was Irma Thomas, which first I I feel stupid for having always just thought that that was a Rolling Stones original, which it's not. Right. Um, And I thought it was great to use that version, which I guess was like the big one, but it sounded great. It was a great way to liven up the beginning of the show. And Mm -hmm. it just felt, you know, it was all part of that resetting the tone of the show. I mean, this, this episode goes by so fast. Um, You really, you know, when it's over, you're like, I can't believe it's over, which is so different for Star Trek Picard. <laughs> you know, if you think yeah, about well, it. Yeah, well, I thought what they did really well, and I'm a big fan of this episode. I'm very happy with this episode, was that they, there was a ton that happened, so much action, but I did feel like every scene got a moment to breathe. For sure. They were making their points. They were laying out their markers. They were setting things up for future episodes. They were foreshadowing. and But yet, it you know, it was all kind of woven in together really well with the plot constantly moving forward i mean it's a huge mystery you know both you know what's going on with this masked queen and what's going on with this alternate universe with q which are made you know probably related but two kind of different mysteries right you know and why q even did what he did picard should have been at least a little grateful he did (laughs) just you know, he should have assumed he was about to die, right? Because he, you know, the ship blew up. Right. Yeah, sure. His house looks weird. And there's a weird painting on the wall. And there's a robot there, a synth there. Harvey. Uh, Harvey. I so, loved Harvey. But, uh, you know, he's alive. That's something. Um, so I thought he was a little ungrateful to Mr. Q when he shows up. 
know? Well, but he knew he was somewhere. He knew that he was in a place that wasn't good. I mean, better than dead. Although earlier Guinan says there are things worse than death. You know that better than anyone. And I, of course, just assumed she was talking about Lacutus and things like that. Yeah. But it was also, you know, an interesting statement given what happens at the end. What did you think about the way they introduced Q? It's kind of what I think we all assumed they were going to do. So there he is. And he and he looks just like we last saw him. That and, looks weird. But I and then he snaps <laughs> his finger to catch up in age. Yes. Um, and then he so, looked great. But before it was a weird. It just looked weird. The CGI was a little off. I mean, this yeah. is a this is a difficult thing to do. And if you're going to ha- make his face young, why don't you give him the old TNG uniform? You know, but I'm glad they just got it out of the way. It's right. like, you know. No one, um, Guinan too said the same thing. We can, ch- we ch- can choose to age. And I find that it, you know, makes other people feel better, basically. So it's like, boom, boom, done. We don't have to think about it anymore. As you always say, just give us a little thing, you know. Yeah. Just so we don't have to think about it and now we don't and we can move on because they're not it's not really important because you know what people get older uh that shit happens so otherwise uh you know they immediately had chemistry it was a great little scene we know there's just going to be a ton more with q Mm -hmm. because the whole time you're watching this you're thinking when's q going to show up the big surprise for me in this episode and certainly when you go back to our analysis articles was i still think this is a bit of a fake out i think but I thought they weren't going to see Guinan until they've jumped universes and they, she was going to help Picard deal with the other universe because she's good at figuring that stuff out. Right. But this was, you know, there's, there's kind of a message here. Whereas Guinan is more important than that. She knows Picard better, better than anyone. And he's kind of going through this crisis with Laris, kind of a personal crisis of, and and he's starting to think about his past and relationships. And she's kind of the only person he could go to, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And so I still think we're going to get more Guinan this season. I hope so. I was so great to see her in a big hat again. And I loved their the way that they talked to each other. It was great. I like that they were deciding, like, you know, top shelf or hooch. And then they went for the hooch, which I liked. And just the way that she will tell him when he's being ridiculous. Yeah. And he just has to accept it. And I loved even when he first got there and he's like, it's Admiral, like in this fun <laughs> way. Well, and she says to him, which I think in a way is a proxy for many people. To me, you'll always be Captain Picard. Right. And I, because like sometimes, you know, I've even written it in articles wrong, like Captain Picard that, you know, when it should have been Admiral because he is technically an admiral but if in your mind he's captain Kirk. same thing he's always going to be captain kirk and yeah picard's always going to be captain picard well they fixed that in the fourth movie right so he was (laughs) (laughs) right but still but i loved his like side whisper like i like how loose he is yeah he's like admiral actually like i loved him saying cheers big ears to laris at the beginning i thought that was also showing that he has relaxed some you know, he's loosened up. I wonder if there was a bet because his first toast was L'chaim. I do. You have to understand how excited I was to hear L'chaim on Star Trek. I almost had to just pause and jump up and down for a second and come back. I was so happy. Does that not mean to life? Which I think mm-hmm. is I- ironic because he's, you know, it is he technically alive? I guess is the question. Well, he I, is. 
Uh, yeah, I think many people would say yes, but there is an irony. He is an android, and uh, so he has a new life. I think that's kind of what they were saying Yep. with that. So my two big things about this are, one, great beginning for a season, resets the whole tone. You know, it's just, it feels like, you know, I'm just so excited about season two. Whereas I think going into it, and certainly, month, you know, before we started seeing the teasers, it was all like, because season one was a, definitely a mixed bag. And I feel like, you know, if you think back to between season one and season two of Discovery, they did a lot of changes in Discovery. And I think the same thing is happening where they, they were listening, they're paying attention. There's new people working on the show. I mean, there's little things. You could definitely tell some super nerds are working on the show. I mean, it's clear they these are people who are tied to the Star Trek canon, but they're not being overly nostalgic about it, I don't think. I couldn't be happier. I, you're so worried they're going to get it wrong. And I think they got it right. Great season. Great opening. Can't wait to see the rest of the season. And also, I thought in the middle of all that very well done action, really strong emotional resonance. Like I could relate to the things he was saying when he said, the part of me that really wants is the part that has to wait in line. And I thought that I can completely relate to that in so many ways. And all the small emotional beats along the way were so well done, along with the big, exciting plot that we're yeah. curious about. So I, I think this is a great way to get started. Made me very excited for the rest of the season. Well done to both Akiva and to Terry Metalis, the two co-show runners who wrote this episode. Onward and upward to episode two next week. Let's move on to the second episode of the week of Star Trek, Star Trek Discovery, season four, episode 11, Rosetta. I watched this one second, just like we're covering it second. After the last couple episodes, I went into this thinking, you know, because Picard was so great, really loved, you know, that one, um, as we just talked about. This surprised me because I went in just kind of thinking another middle season Discovery episode where they're going to do all the cool stuff at the end. And there was lots of cool stuff. I really liked this episode, actually. I thought it was a huge improvement over the last couple of episodes. Like the action moved along. We got information. Everybody was smart. All the discussions that needed to happen didn't stop the action. They either happened during the action or after in a time and place that felt appropriate. Good good character development that happened as part of the story and cool science stuff and beautiful settings everything looked really great i really enjoyed this episode certainly from a visual point of view it was beautiful i think maybe the best use of the ar wall they've gotten all season i think they're just yeah. getting yeah you know, i've been saying you know because the early versions you know the first couple episodes it's like let's all stand in a round room like that's all they knew how to do with it <laughs> And they're getting good at it. They're getting, you know, they're walking around and it, it just seems like they're, they're learning what it can do. And it felt like such an immersive environment too. Like it was completely convincing, but just bigger picture for a minute. Like it's so, what made me laugh in this episode besides Tignataro, 
who always makes me laugh, was <laughs> the fact that there's all this criticism out there, like Discovery, and they always do motions, and everybody's crying, and it's so annoying and stupid, and it doesn't work. And then I'm thinking, <laughs> this whole thing was so much about how important emotions are, and how that's going to be their point of connection with this mysterious species. And I was just like, ha ha, like in a way, it just made me laugh. <laughs> Well, the show's always worn its emotions on its sleeve and they're like, well, we might as well keep going. And so they've been building up this whole thing of how are we going to communicate with the species when we know nothing about them? Kovich made a, you know, his show and tell last week all about that. Yeah. So it makes sense. It fits with the show, but it was, I didn't feel it was heavy handed. I thought it was organic. It was yep. interesting, very interesting. Well, first of all, I think, you know, so there were some theories which I was possibly thinking, you know, could be true. Like maybe Oros is 10C, the 10C isn't a species. It's really, you know, that they were going to do something cute like that. Like it was all a fake. It was really, you know, a, a different version of Michael or, you know, Michael's dad or something. But it seems like 10C is a genuine species, mm -hmm. an, an actual sci-fi concept that they said, let's do something new and interesting, which they kind of said was their goal. And, um, you know, everything, you know, on that planet I found fascinating. And what's great is you think it's one thing and it turns out to be another thing because too often in discovery, things are very predictable. Yeah, no, there were all kinds of surprises in this one. And then when the emotional moments came in for me, they really worked. They were, they were woven into the story they had power. They meant something. They were important. So it all it really just came together. And such a relief, I have to say, after the last few where it was just, you know, we felt like we're marking time a little bit, waiting to find out something else. And it was a great way to bring back Saru's, you know, yes. fearfulness. Yes. And Doug was so strong in this episode. Oh. Maybe, maybe the MVP of the episode, I would say, is Doug. Probably. Yep, I, I I would agree with that. Um, because he brought it back so well throughout the episode, and even at the end when you know they kind of figure out how to get around it, but he was still kind of like dealing with it because it's like I haven't felt that way in a long time, you know, since the Fahari or whatever. And even the way he connected with Detmer about it, and I really liked her scenes as well. Um, I thought was the same thing. Like he's he had a life of fear. And then he got to leave it behind. And then here it is again. So, of course, it's going to affect him even more strongly than the others. But even in the midst of all of that emotion, when they were, when the three of them were experiencing, we're jumping all over, but we're just going to do it. When the three of them were experiencing this fear and this intensity, and they're all, you could, they didn't have to say, I'm fighting it as hard as I can. You could just tell. They were all fighting it. They were all trying to be their best Starfleet officers, not giving into it once they realized you could see the strain of it on their faces as they tried to fight it and recognized again without having to say it out loud, which is pretty unusual for this show. Like we've probably only got a few minutes of this before it's too much. I was counting at one point and they said uncertainty three times, I believe this episode, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, that's fine. I mean, I'm getting used to that now. There should be a little counter in the corner. Uncertainty. I know Ding. I almost, and, and they brought back one of my favorite things that season one, they used to say a thousand times in every episode was Xenoanthropologist. 
Like they used to, Michael used to always say, well, since I'm a xenoanthropologist, well, I'm a And so here it was, I think, twice or three times, but it did make, I was like back to old school. But they had to explain why the captain was going down, which is reasonable yes. to the planet. And then we got some new Saru abilities here. He could speak, what did they say? Like hundreds of languages, like yeah. s- some ridiculous number that- he said. Oh, she said over a hundred languages. Well, weren't we at 90 the last time? I don't know, you know, but <laughs> go for it, Saru. Great. But that was great because the president is like, why are you both going? Which is a reasonable question, which we all, you know, anyone who watches the original series is familiar with with the ridiculousness of all the senior officers beaming down together. Um, (laughs) And so it was a reasonable question. And she got a reasonable answer and said, fair enough. I was worried, you know, kind of like the original series, you had the captain, the first officer and the doctor beam down. And then one other person. And this was such a strong episode for Detmer. And I think uh, Emily Coots did a really good job. And it was so strong for her. I thought we were heading for an Arium situation here. <laughs> Not only was Detmer getting a lot of focus on the planet, people were talking about Detmer on the ships. It's all Detmer, Detmer, Detmer. And I'm like, uh-oh, um, is she the red shirt of the episode? Because, um, you know, this is supposed to be dangerous outside the galactic barrier. And I was a little worried, um, but uh, she pulled through in the end. So I only wasn't worried because we met her more than two episodes ago. <laughs> And she's had stories before. I mean, Arium, we knew for a while, but we didn't, we got literally nothing about Arium until that one episode. You know, Owo had a a nice away mission and now Detmer, they're giving these cast members missions and more stories. And I think that's, we're learning more about them. But I think of all of the, let's give the bridge crew something to do bits, she felt like a completely realized character and part of the away mission and not tacked on as let's give her something to say right um, the, the best of the season i think of all of the attempts to do this and i have to say i was very emotionally moved when she cried because she hadn't experienced that kind of safety and comfort and love before i was moved by that it totally got to me and contrasting with the fact that Adira is talking about how much they admire Detmer because she's always got her shit together. Or at least looks like she does, I right. think, is kind of what they're saying. They spelled it. I mean, there was no <laughs> confusion about that because Jet Reno spelled it all out. And Detmer reminded us of the PTSD therapy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, which I get, that's okay. That's what Disco does. But I still, I thought it was very effective. The sci-fi premise, because uh, the big thing we learned this week, I, I think they're saying that, that this was the real home planet of Tennessee, mm-hmm. which used to be a gas giant. I thought that was really it, the idea of a dried out gas giant. I was a little confused of like, were they saying that while the gas giant existed as a gas giant, that they built things on the surface? Because that... Sh- they also said that should be impossible, which I think is true, that no matter how great you are, you could never, you know, because there is something in the center of Jupiter and Neptune, but it, the the pressure and the density is so much down there that it would be impossible to do anything. So were they saying that they built this after it, the the atmosphere was destroyed or? Yeah, I was trying to unravel that too. And I think... 
I mean, I'm no scientist, so what I'm about to say might not make any sense. But <laughs> I think when the asteroids started hitting, maybe that was when the, and they were building the hyperfield, they were also creating this area that would protect their young. Maybe. Maybe it was thinning out. I mean, certainly the um the premise reminded me of the old Cosmos show and Carl Sagan, who had this hypothesis that aliens can live in gas giants, but they wouldn't live in the surface. They would be what he called floaters. He actually had ideas from multiple species, but it sounds what they were describing sounds very much like this premise of uh, you know creatures that would float and fly around and would be very large, which is kind of what we're getting sensing here is that ten C are ju- just large, gigantic. Like Calibar was saying like when he said the bone, I was like, "Ooh, like it just was scary." So. <laughs> great big giant bone maybe they're so large that we literally look like ants to them which would make sense in terms of the mining and all of that right i mean they keep keep on bringing up do they or do they not know what they're doing because you know that totally changes the calculus of first contact because if they do know first contact may be a very short conversation well that i mean it raises so many questions for me that i did that i was like oh i want to talk to tony about these like does it so that we have a couple of possibilities, right? One is the aliens will agree. Oh, you know, they'll contact them somehow and they'll be like, oh, no, well, we'll stop. Does that ruin the story? Is that a bad, boring story? Do they have to be evil for it to be a good story? Do they have to be so superior that they don't care? I mean, it raises a lot of questions for how they can resolve this in a way that's going to work. Well, I feel like it's we're heading towards a Darmok like situation where you know, a lot of this is going to be figuring out how to talk to them and connecting with them and finding a way to find common ground. I keep thinking it's going to be like Relic and like a V'ger thing <laughs> where she melds with like where she, where she has because I really feel like she's not coming back no matter what. Yeah. So I, I feel like she's going to have to volunteer to go meld with them so that they can understand or something like that. That could be but it. It's hard. It's hard to. It, I know they want to do something that hasn't been done before, which is a very daunting task in Star Trek. The other challenge there will be, of course, Book and Tarka, because while they're trying to make first contact, Book and Tarka, or at least Tarka, is pro- is going to attack. The Discovery will probably end up having to thwart that and, in strangely, save Ten C from Tarka. Well, right, because here's the thing. So Book meets up with the general and they have this, this they make a deal that they're going to work together. And she says to him that he has to give the diplomacy time to work. You know, she's still being reasonable. And she says, if they capitulate, then you guys have to stand down. And Book gives his word and they shake hands. And that's all very nice. But Tarka didn't give his word. And Tarka wasn't part of that conversation. Yeah, the same thing as before. Of Book is like, sure, that seems reasonable. And Tarka's like, um, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. Right. He wasn't even there. So, yeah. I mean, I assume they'll discuss it at some point. Um, but it's, yeah. I was like, you guys don't make the same mistake again. Like, Book, last time you agreed to something, remember what happened? It was just, you know, very recent. Yeah. <laughs> So the main fun of the book and Tarka story, which kind of, first of all, doesn't make sense that they can oh. sneak onto the ship. So he's, I mean, it's like, how stupid is Zora? 
They really need a security officer. Um, but I kind of liked how book was haunting the ship and he was watching these conversations happening and kind of reconnecting with Grease watching Adira and, um, well, Tarka was the one watching Adira and Reno and book was watching Tarina and general Ndoye and having a very pivotal conversation that he just happened to tune into. I think they both heard that one. And then book is like totally like watching Michael through the wall, which I was a little creepy and weird. Yeah, a little creepy for sure. And, and like you, I just thought it shouldn't, I can sort of buy like, oh, the ship can figure out a way to find a blind spot, but I just couldn't buy that they were beaming on there and crawling around and doing all these things and not getting caught. It shouldn't be possible on a ship like Discovery, especially after last season when it got taken over. They show up on one deck and they're like, this deck is empty. And it's like, really? Why? Yeah. You know? I mean, that's convenient, but sure. I mean, conveniences are conveniences. They're, they help but, move the story forward. But but all but, they had to do was say, don't, I checked. I, I knew, I told you it would be empty. If they'd said that, I told you it was empty. That would have been great. But instead, like, they seemed, you know, happily surprised that it was empty. Well, it should have been part of their plan to somehow make it empty by creating yes. a fake. Because they did distract Reno, but she ended up figuring it out. Uh, but I did like how Reno didn't fall for their thing. And there was actually a subtle reference to Lower Decks there because the malfunction that they created was creating <laughs> um, steamed bananas, which was from Lower Decks. Yeah, I totally assumed that that's what it was. But I did like the politics. Um, I always like politics uh, stuff. And there's a lot of interesting politics going on on the ship between President and Dr. Hurai, who still snacking, snacking. I feel like this must like, I mean, it's like, I'd want, it's like, could it be a plot point? Eventually he's going to have to eat something important, but I think it's just a way to, you know, a way to make him weird. I think. Yes, I think so too. Oh, and, and your favorite Ferengi was standing there. I know. Again, I, I really am. I don't think there's a person in there. I, I think they that... just wheel it out and they just pop them in because again, no movement, nothing, just standing there. I find that hard to hard to imagine, but you never know. <laughs> but I did like all that stuff and the stuff of the president, and, and eventually Doctor Hurai. I mean, this character is being highlighted to the point where it feels like he's going to play an important role with Ten C and mm -hmm. working on the the hydrocarbons. Which I hate to say this, but that does kind of mean that the Ten C communicate via farts, right? <laughs> Isn't that a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy thing? Yeah, met methane <laughs> is is a hydrocarbon chain, as mm -hmm. you know, and uh, there are many others. But uh, emotion farts, they're emotion farts. Yes. <laughs> well, that was definitely there's definitely there is a character in um, Rick and Morty which was called Fart, and it was a floating cloud, and it was evil and wanted to destroy the whole galaxy. Spoiler alert, by the way. For oh, you. ruined it. Um, and, okay, I'm sure this isn't related, but when I was a little kid, I used to make up all these stories and write comics about a character called the Purple Fart. How would they know that? <laughs> <laughs> like, is this even a question that you think that they somehow knew this? I think they knew about the Purple Fart, and they did not include his best friend, the Dill Pickle, but that's another story. Anyway, oh. <laughs> um... <laughs> a weird kid what can i say 
Back to our general for our, sorry, our doctor, Harai, for a second. He said one interesting thing about Dr. Kovic, who he's like, to me, he's very much emulating Kovic. Mm -hmm. He's sort of saying the things that Kovic would say. And when he's playing his sort of, you know, word puzzle, his wordle game, you know, his crossword game, he says, oh, Dr. Kovic introduced me to an ancient earth. And I'm like, again, with the ancient earth and Kovic. He's a hipster. He's he's a thirty second century hipster. Is or what a he time is. traveler. I know that's. I mean, I it's fun to think he's a time traveler because I used to have so many theories about him. I've moved beyond theories with him. Like I don't think any theory <laughs> is true. I think he just is what he is. He's like every week they just make him whatever they want. So yeah, sure. Some we they could quite possibly someday make him into a time travel, but I guarantee there's no piece of paper anywhere that says he's definitely a time traveler. Um, you know, he's just this, you know, this blank canvas. It's great. I I think he's great character. David Cronenberg is great. And of course he's the linchpin to the Gilligan hypothesis. So, (laughs) which I think still stands after this episode, by the way. Yes, I would agree. Um, just so people know what we're talking about, the Gilligan hypothesis is up on the site and it explains Kovic's three hour tour comment from last week and suggests that that is a big hint to what we were talking about last week also, which is that Discovery might not be coming back. So while all this is going on on the ship, we're still back with our with our landing party down there trying to figure out what's going on. And it did. There were two things that reminded me of other Star Trek episodes, one funny, one not so funny. But they were speculating on how could we all be experiencing the same hallucination. And mm-hmm. I was reminded of the Voyager episode Memorial which is oh, where yeah. they all experience exactly the same thing and and don't realize it at first that that's what's going on and they've all been traumatized by it. So that was the serious one. And then the funnier one for me was when Michael first, when, she, when they realized that dust was different, the blue dust was made up of something different. I thought, mm-hmm. first of all, she did a thing that totally Spock would have done, which was, I'm just going to touch it then. Like, this <laughs> is how to figure it out. I'm a scientist. And she does it. And then it was almost like she was playing the game in the game. <laughs> yeah. Well, they all, I did feel like when she, when they find the nursery part and she touches it and then they all do. And I thought, shouldn't one of you yeah. not, you know, like keep uh, Detmer as the control in this experiment because. I know. I mean, who- <laughs> you're right. And that's, and I was thinking the exact same thing because they all just go bloop, bloop, bloop. And then they do it. Like and everyone, let's get high on this, on these hydrocarbons, you know? But, and that's, But who uh, would want to be the person who doesn't get to do it? But she did do that, like, oh, like it reminded me of um, Ogawa in the elevator in, in the game. Like there was just something a little creepy about her first dream. Are you saying a little orgasmic kind a of? A little orgasmic. Yeah, a little could, inappropriately orgasmic. I could see that. But... But after that, it was fine, and I and I thought there was a reason they all had such strong reactions to it that was great. So I understand why they made the choice for the story. But yeah, it was weird that nobody nobody opted out. I mean, this gets to the thirty second century technologies close to magic anyway. Because I was thinking, well, obviously, there's some kind of telepathy, which we've seen before on Star Trek. You know, where mm-hmm. some some being is beaming stuff into people's minds, and um, Michael actually said these suits can take care of that. There's no scion. She said psionic, which is something yes. I'm not sure we've heard in Star Trek. We probably have, but you know, the 32nd century, they they've covered for that. No more beaming stuff. So if you wore that suit, 
on that planet from Voyager, you'd be fine. It would block it. Um, right. But this was something new. It wasn't actually telepathy at all. Um, it was just some weird stuff that somehow got through the suits because they weren't, they hadn't tested for it. Right. Well, because it was a, it was a substance that was unknown to them. So, of course, they didn't create a filter for it. Yeah. And I loved, again, the way they figured it out was was smart and good. I was waiting for them to say, oh, it's Detmer's, you know, eyepiece thing on the side of her head. And it wasn't that, which I liked that I was wrong. It's nice to be surprised. And even when they showed, there's a shot near the beginning when they're walking where Saru steps in the blue stuff. And I didn't even notice specifically that he'd stepped in the blue dust because I just get excited every time I see his feet. So I thought, oh, it's just a fun thing to show that he's still wearing special, that even his EV suit has the special boots. And I was already distracted thinking about like, wow, his suit is so different from everybody else's and whatever. And then, of course, it mattered. Like that shot was there for a reason and it was an important reason. So uh, let's, so let's, one of the beautiful things about the Tarka book story um, was the fact that now Jet Reno <laughs> is on book's ship. <laughs> Which I'm so happy that she finally gets to be more than just a commenter. Like right. she's now part of the story. I mean, she says nothing like coming home to an unexpected to an unexpected hostage. Am I right? Which I thought was great. She was part of the Adira story too, and it, you know, she had a nice moment with Adira. It's good to give Tig something more to do than just wisecracking and engineering. I guess this means, because we haven't had a lot of Tig, I think this is only the second episode mm -hmm. of the season, but that must mean that we're going to get at least one more. Right? Oh, yeah. There's going to be something important there. I mean, I don't know why, the, why Zora didn't know that Tig left, well, that Reno left the ship. One thing that you shouldn't have to do because I think we've saw this on next generation is they'd say, where is officer in the computer right. today off the ship? The ship should immediately tell mm -hmm. someone so-and-so just disappeared. You know? Right. It could monitor everyone. I mean, we could do that now, you know? Well, we know Zora's <laughs> listening to every conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So Zora would, I mean, that's the thing is how did Zora not see Tarka once you know, so we're just, you know. Well, they said that they had, you know, things that shielded them from from sensors, oh, like on true. their individual bodies. Right. So, OK, sure. I mean, Zora's supposed to be really smart, smarter than Tarka. <laughs> but anyway, OK. But Tig, sorry, I keep saying Tig, but Jet Reno being kidnapped is just going to lead to more delightful fun. And now it's it's part of the story as opposed to comic relief or or a break. Like the conversation with Adira was nice, but it wasn't important to the story. Yeah, I did very much enjoy the conversation between Adira and Detmer. And, and Adira is now getting their own stories. They, they have left the shadow of Grey and they can have their own life. And yeah, I'd like to see them doing more stuff on the ship, though. Like, we're not seeing Adira do any useful work. And I feel like one of the things was Adira's a genius. Yeah, I'm sure Adira's going to have some kind of Wesley moment in the last couple episodes where they come up with, like, oh, you know, you combine this fart and this fart, you can. <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't the, be saying that. The blue <laughs> fart and the red fart to make a purple <laughs> fart. <laughs> you know, they'll figure it out. 
But I, I enjoyed the moment of, you know, Adair really looking up to Detmer and getting up the courage to go talk to her. And I liked their conversation. Like it was very, when Adair's like, can you not mention again, you know, about the fly good? And Detmer says, or I could mention it every day for the rest of your life, which a great moment for Det. Like that was such a real moment. They're getting a lot of good use at the lounge. Oh yeah, their bar with the fire going and the the Lurian hanging out. Yeah. By the way, he's got a drinking problem. Okay, because every t- every scene in the lounge, he's there. Right. So and we presume he's a member of the crew. We said uniform. Right. And so, uh, there aren't any passengers. It's not like Deep Space Nine where he could just be hanging around. And we've <laughs> never seen him anywhere but there. Now, obviously, it's an homage to Morn, but yes. someone should talk to Saru who's, you know, first officer's in charge of the crew and, and say, you know, this guy, hopefully it's ha- in the hall, but hasn't got left a- the bar in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's got a problem, but they're getting a lot of good use because there's certain conversations or certain things you could only do yeah. in the, you know, in a more relaxed setting. And I think it's a great looking set, of course. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, so, yeah, it's been a great addition for the season. They haven't overused it. So, no, I like it. Yeah, I do too. And then there was also, let's not forget, the other sort of sitting down and drinking scene at the end was Michael and Culber, where she gives him this, I looked it up, like Mavi, which is uh it's actually pronounced differently depend and spelled differently depending on where you have it, but uh, Puerto Rican drink um, that he was so happy. The look on his face when he was drinking it. And she's got this crafty look on her face. Like I that. feel like he's mentioned it before. It seemed important. Yes, I thought so too. And she had a, a great grin on her face, you know, waiting to see what he thought of it. But there's, Something else going on there, too, because he she had clocked his reaction to the dust that he kind of went back for a moment before they left. And he's talking about how he's really still a mess. She was kind of giving him some therapy, essentially. Mm -hmm. And it was done at the right time. That was the beauty of it. It was done (laughs) when the mission was over. Exactly. Even there's a moment where she... (laughs) She says to, I think to Relic, she says something like, you know, I'll order the ship to go to head towards the, you know, 10C right now. And I thought they didn't say, but first, let's have a conversation about our feelings. (laughs) They just did it. I mean, last time they were like, we should go there right away. And then they had a big conversation about something else. But it's all, I think, building up so nicely to the very big question, which is, relevant to where we are today as well which is what do you do when you can't connect with people because you feel like they don't care about the same thing that you do yeah how do you deal with that and that is a big thing happening in the world right now i found that frustrating in the real world of when you realize you know that there's a group here and a group here and they there aren't they aren't even working on the same fundamental facts right Right. So how do you talk in that situation that w- without any, you know, that the Rosetta itself, without a kind of shared translation mm-hmm. that connects this to that? Certainly, it's been heavy handed at times, but this season at least is delivering on the stated theme and arc more than any other season of Discovery. I would agree. And sometimes to its detriment, because... 
you know, a couple of episodes in a row about uncertainty, we don't know anything is challenging to watch and not super memorable. But this one, I think, really worked, was so much more effective and raised these very big questions that are our everyday questions right now. Yeah. As I said, I went into this episode kind of like, you know, on a, on a Picard high. Yeah. Uh, I feel like you shouldn't really watch these back to back. You should give yourself some time, although it's hard to resist. Yeah. I mean, I don't know a Star Trek fan who can resist. Well, even with that great Picard high relief of such a strong opener, this was still able to hold my interest maintain it and spark more interest for the final two episodes. So I've kind of, you know, moved past my discovery malaise, which had started developing over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. You know what? You're like Stamets when he said, I'm finally starting to feel some hope. Oh, there we go. Oh man. You could tie it all together with a bow. I did it. Yep. There you go. I'm still curious about where they're going with the, the rest of the season. And of course, how they're going to end it. Yeah. Two more episodes. And then just one little thing that Stamets said near the end, which is they found 16 unique compounds, including the two that they all experienced on the surface. And each one corresponds with a different emotional state. So that could lead to some interesting scenes. You know, we get, you know, once you get into the nitty gritty, how does this species, you know, use tools and technology and stuff where if they communicate through um, essentially gases uh you know how much of a conversation can you have you know but uh, i guess we'll get there when we get there yes saru brought up some alien who aliens who communicate something about their breath the smell of their breath or something like that yeah so (laughs) it was kind of odd oh and speaking of saru we shouldn't forget his little stroll with tarina step by step uh, mm-hmm. these two are getting closer and closer. I mean, it was Michael and uh, oh, Culber were the worst. Though. Stamets, Stamets. <laughs> Michael and Stamets were the worst. Yeah, Culber's great, but Michael and Stamets were not being cool about it at all. They're was... like the friends that you would be so mad. You'd be like, quit it. Shut <laughs> up. If they were behind you when that was going on. I just hope this is the nice love story that ends oh. nicely or continues. And we don't, it's not some tragic setup or one of the it couldn't be Saru obviously well I mean in theory it could be but you know and the other thing that made me nervous was she when she was talking to the general she said you know my vice president is taking care of everything and I'm like everybody who's got a vice president taking care of things is at risk (laughs) (laughs) is there anything I think we've such a fun episode I really enjoyed it was was happy to watch it more than once and uh um, I feel like it's one that I'll remember, you know, like I think some of the previous ones will mishmash a little bit and I won't remember which happened and which one, but this one I'll remember. It's a full episode. It's, it stands on yes. its own, even though it's all part of this arc. It isn't just bridging a gap. It is its own thing. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it worked. Agreed. All right. So that's it. This is our first of three weeks in a row where we are reviewing two hour long dramatic episodes of Star Trek in one episode. So that's why we're not doing our bits at the end, because we don't have time. And now we're going to let you go. Goodbye.